This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 190 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. And we are excited to be with you tonight. We are definitely excited to be with you guys. There's been no sports or no fun events to go to, so we're just ready to do some recording. You know, it's it's really a terrible thing, but it's kind of been a nice thing. Because we are like totally just being together and bonding and, you know, not, not have the TV on so much. And so it's not been a bad bad situation here anyway, as far okay. as that. Well, we'll agree to disagree. Why you what? <laughs> I should have been watching basketball games and I should be getting ready right now for the NCAA selection show. I know. So it sucks. It sucks. I was just trying to make the best of it. Yeah. I, know, I mean, I know it's got to happen, but it's yeah. still something that's very hard to get used to. Totally. All right. First of all, thanks to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all the K-9 units. Uh, yes. Thank God for you all. God bless you. And a great, big, huge shout out to all the doctors, the nurses, everybody that's taking time to take care of everybody. You guys are angels. And we just want to say thank you guys as well and be safe. Yeah, it's a crazy time in our, our world right now, and you guys are right at the forefront of it. So Yes, you are. Once again, it shows how selfless you are when you choose a career that, you know, puts you right in, you know, the middle of, of medical emergencies and stuff like that. It just says something about the type of person you are to choose a career path like that. Absolutely. We uh, always want to mention when we know about first responders or military um, they're going through a tough time or, or passing away. And we got word that uh, Kareen Chiffon, who was a longtime member of the Austin, Texas Police Department, uh, passed away recently. And we just wanted to say condolences to her friends and family. God bless her, honey. Thank you for your service. We'll be praying for your family. As usual, and even more important now with everything that's going on, if you're going through an extra tough time and you need to talk to somebody, please feel free to reach out to somebody, friend, family member, us, uh, our Hillbilly Horror Stories group. Uh, if you want to call the hotline for the Suicide Hotline in America, 1-800-273-8255. If you're more of a texter, 741-741. But times like these can be overbearing for some people. Yeah, they can and, be very trying. And especially if you've already had other stuff going on, this could be tip of the iceberg type stuff. Just please don't think of it as, you know, the an end of the world type scenario. Just think of it as just another, you know, situation that we're going to get past. Exactly. So We'll get through this together. All right. So let's talk about tonight's story. 
<laughs> probably not not the best segue. Tonight we're going to talk about the House of Death. Oh, good so. <laughs> lord! Sorry, y'all. It's I'm not, sure that wasn't really planned that it's way. It's not funny, but it definitely wouldn't thought pre-thought about very well. Oh my gosh! So tonight's show, Tracy takes us to Greenwich Village up in New York City. More specifically, the building at 14 West 10th Street. That's a house that most locals affectionately have labeled the House of Death. Greenwich Village is one of New York's prettiest neighborhoods, very picturesque. Most of the brownstone homes that the streets are lined with there are about 150 years old. Wow, beautiful, I'm sure. It's said that Greenwich Village puts off the old world Manhattan charm, so you can see why people would oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. The house that we're going to focus on tonight was built in 1856. It's a beautiful Greek Revival-style home. Now, this home has seen several prominent people live there over the years, such as Mark Twain. Oh, that's cool. I like to hang out with old Mark. (laughs) Oh, Mark. (laughs) So, Mark Twain lived there for a year or so, starting in 1900, uh, but most people say he's still there. So cool. we'll get into that, obviously, a little more as we get into the story. So maybe we can still hang out with him. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a dark history of this house, which kind of contributes to the home earning the nickname of the Death House. Many say that this is the most haunted location in all of New York City, with approximately 22 ghosts that haunt the Death House. The other house, by the way, that most people say, you know, it's either this house or the Merchant house which is a kind of a museum now in new york city Mm -hmm. those are the two that are bounced back and forth and we're going to be doing a shorter story on the merchant house here in the upcoming weeks okay sounds good episodes anyways let's learn a little more about the house history before we get into the paranormal aspects number 14 as it was originally called was built like we said in 1856 Mark Twain lived there, but there were some other pretty important people who lived there as well, one of which was the wife of James Borman Johnston, Mary Johnston. Her husband, James, was the founder of the Broadway Underground Railway and the Metropolitan Underground Railway. He also helped establish a library, a reading room, and an art gallery in New York City, which eventually would go on to be called the Metropolitan Art Gallery, which is just right up the road on the same street. Oh, cool. That sounds nice. I think it's... uh, Number 10, I believe. So this was number 14. So it was literally just a couple of houses down. Yeah. When he died in 1887, his wife moved into the Brownstone on 10th Street with their daughters. In 1897, cyclist Fred H. Andrew bought the home. Now, this is where most people say that the bad luck kind of started happening uh, for the home. One day, while he was out riding his bike, Fred Andrew ran into an eight-year-old little boy, and the boy suffered a broken leg. Get this, though. Fred Andrew was subsequently arrested for reckless bicycle riding. I guess that's a thing, right? (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark Twain, moved in three years later. He only lived here for about a year, but he ran into some major financial problems while he was living here. Mark Twain did? Mark Twain. He also battled depression during his time here. Twain, by the way, was a huge skeptic when it came to the paranormal. He would have an experience here that most people would think would, you know, kind of make him rethink his beliefs on the paranormal. Uh But I don't necessarily think that was the case with him. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about that in just a little bit. Okay. What the hell? I'll tell you about it now. Okay. What the hell? So one night, Mark Twain was looking, you know, 
sitting there doing something. He was looking over at bar, where his fireplace was, where he had his wood stacked up beside the fireplace. Mm-hmm. And he noticed one of the smaller pieces of kindling moving. Like from the pile? Yes. It kind of raised up into the air. So he's thinking it's some kind of a rat. Holy crap. He, you know, figures it's they're moving it. So he pulls out his gun and he shoots at it. The piece of wood dropped to the floor along with a few drops of blood. So Twain, no. yeah, Twain insisted that the blood was from a rodent, even though there was no signs of rats anywhere in the house and no rat was ever found that day. Now, that is some major skill to make some wood bleed. <laughs> Maybe it was a redwood. It could have been. In 1937, the house was divided into 10 different apartments. The last prominent person that we're going to talk about was actress Jan Bryant Bartell and her husband. They moved in in 1957, and they had the most famous experiences here. Who are they? You know who they are? I, I mean, it's 57, so yeah. who knows? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't recognize the name. Yeah, me neither. I looked at her picture, and I didn't really recognize her. Oh, you didn't her. recognize her No, either? I didn't recognize her. Now, I, I might know some of the movies she was in. I just mm-hmm. don't know her, but I didn't really look at what she felt starred in. Okay, so that's most of the history on who lived there and all that stuff. So let's talk about the paranormal side of the death house. Now, wait. Did you not talk about what she saw, or are you getting ready to talk I'm about it? I'm getting ready that? to. Oh, okay. Thus me saying, let's get into the paranormal side. I know. I thought that you might say something before that. Part, no, though. I told Mark Twain's story early. See, oh. see, no, what I did was I told his story early, and now you're expecting it with everybody. I know. <laughs> That's why I shouldn't have done it. You're spoiled now. <laughs> you spoiled me. I'm just kidding. A lot of people smell that way. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume by now most of you are asking, why do they call this the death house? Well, that's a good question. And legend has it that at least 22 people have died in this house. Damn, that's a lot. Remember earlier we said that there was approximately 22 ghosts. So apparently well, nobody mean, likes to leave here. Apparently not. I've seen that number go up to over 40 in some of the research that I saw. So there have been stories about this place being haunted way back before Mark Twain ever moved in. But let's talk about Mark Twain a little more. So we mentioned he was a skeptic. And the reason we know that is because when he originally bought the house, it was you know, told to him that the house was haunted. And he said basically he was going to move in anyway because he didn't believe in such things. He even went as far as to write a short story named, appropriately enough, Ghost Story. Mm -hmm. And in the story, the ghost haunted his fake corpse. Ooh. I want to read that. (laughs) What is the most ironic thing of all is that the most spotted ghost in this house of death is that of no other than Mark Twain himself. Oh, my goodness. So he didn't believe in it. Yeah. It's also, and I I don't have the details right in front of me, but... I think it was Haley's Comet that he was born when Haley's Comet came in on the day that it came. And then like 72 years later or something, when it came back for the second time, he died on that (gasps) same day. And he predicted that That he was going to go out on his birthday. Oh, wow. Wow. So he died on his birthday when Haley's Comet came back. So he was born when it came and he died the next time it came in. I mean, that's kind of depressing. It is. but Because he's like, oh, I guess today's the day. 
Kills kind of mean, over. So, I mean, that's kind of, for somebody who doesn't believe in such things, yeah. it's kind of ironic. Wow, that's that's craziness. So, the most famous Twain sighting was in the late 1930s. There was a mother and a daughter who had moved in there. This was in 1937, I believe. But anyway, the mother and daughter, they're, they're living there. And the mom walks from, like, the bedroom into the living room. And there's a man sitting in a chair looking out the window. And she said the man had white hair. He had a white suit. His hair was kind of wild. And she said, basically said, who are you? Because there's some strange guy sitting in her living room. And he said, Colonel Sanders, bitch. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. He said, my name is Clemens, and I has a problem here. I got to settle. Wait, that was his name for real name? Yeah, Samuel Clemens. Oh, yeah. And he disappeared into thin air. Okay, well, how is she supposed to help him solve his problem if he disappeared? (laughs) Well, it's not the only time that he's been seen here, and he's still seen today. It's often been, he's often been seen wearing an all-white suit that he was very fond of wearing back during his living years. He's seen most often walking down, up and down the stairwell, which, by the way, is supposed to be the most haunted part of the entire house. No one is sure why Twain haunts the place. I mean, he only lived here for a year, and he didn't die here in the home. He actually died nine years later in Reading, Connecticut. Some think that's because he had some financial problems during his time here and think that maybe when he's referring to a debt, that when he says, I had a problem here to settle. Oh, that, that, well, that makes sense. Yeah, so whatever it was. But, you know, whatever he had to settle might have been a debt. Right. That was there. Okay, Ninch. Obviously, you can disagree if you have your right to your opinion. True that. This brings us to the story involving actress Jan Bryant Bartell that you were, that you were so anxious for me to tell earlier, but you're going to have to wait a few moments longer until after this brief sponsor break. As stated earlier, her and her husband moved into the top floor apartment. Now, this was definitely not the most fun part of Jan's life. It started on day one. She said she felt an ominous presence in the apartment. At first, it was what she deemed to be minor things, but more or less disturbing. She would hear footsteps coming from behind her, and occasionally, she felt like an invisible force would brush up against her. What was most disturbing, though, was the smell of something rotten coming from the floorboards. Oh, gross. Now, that might have been the most disturbing, but it wasn't the most frightening. She says that was when she saw a shadow figure following her around the apartment. According to her, it was a large, hulking man. One time, she reached out to touch it. What was it exactly that she touched? Well, she wrote in her book in 1974 called Spindrift, Spray from a Psychic Sea, that what she touched was a substance without a substance. She said it was chilly, damp. It was like a marsh mist or a cloud of ether. She could feel her fingers freezing at the tips. They were numb, yet they tingled. And then she said this, In a split second between contact and recoil, the scent came fragile and lingurious, and sweet, unbearable, cloyingly sweet. She said she knew then that this was not a friendly Mark Twain type of spirit. But it had the word sweet in it. I know it did. 
Jan and her husband began taking notes of all these strange occurrences, and Jan decided that she was going to write a book on the property itself. So she soon discovered that the home had a very haunted history. She learned of all the Mark Twain sightings. Then she decided to bring in a medium and conduct a seance in the apartment. During the seance, Jan became possessed by a 19-year-old girl by the name of Rini Mallison. This spirit said that she had lost her husband during the Civil War. Not only that, but she held Abraham Lincoln personally responsible. Hmm. Let's remember that this house was built right before the Civil War started. The medium then asked the spirit to leave the house. The spirit then screamed, never. (laughs) I will never leave here. This is my home. And she may or may not have said bitch. I don't know. At the end. I don't know either. Jan and her husband lived there for 12 years before moving out in 1969. She said that the house poisoned her and the horror did not stop when she left. She thinks that the evil that was in the house somehow attached itself to her. It's important to note that Jan had experienced some paranormal events before moving into this home. See, before moving into number 14, she lived in the home directly next door at number 16. She heard voices and saw visions in that home. She felt oppressed and just a general feeling of dread and foreboding. But that was nothing to what she experienced in the death house. And we mentioned that she was writing a book that was released in 1974. Unfortunately, she was not alive to see that book released. Aww. Jan died in 1973 under mysterious circumstances. It may have possibly even been a suicide. It's really a lot of, not a lot of information about Aww, what happened. Oh, that's awful. Her book was unfinished, but her friends gathered all of the uh, work that she had put together and published it the following year. Well, that's good. So we talked earlier about the house and uh, how it got its name. The Death House. The Death House. It started to be called the House of Death in November in 1989. Not that long ago. No. Joel Steinberg, who was a prominent criminal uh, defense attorney in the area, he moved into the home with his girlfriend, Hedda Nussbaum, who was a children's author. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. They then adopted two children. Lisa was a six-year-old, and Mitchell was just under two years old, about, I think he was 18 months old, exactly. One night, after some heavy drug use, Joel beat Hedda and the six-year-old Lisa mercilessly. What the hell? Would somebody let them adopt somebody that's going to be beating kids? Oh, it was horrible. So, what ended up happening, to give a little more detail to that night, and obviously they didn't know that they were going to be beat kids when they... Adopted I right. mean, when they gave them to kids. But so what ended up happening is apparently they were doing a bunch of cocaine and he beat the hell out of them. He left and went and met up with some friends for some drinking. He came back at four o'clock in the morning and she was so terrified of what he would do to her that she never went to go check on a little girl. And he comes back at four o'clock in the morning. They apparently him and Hedda did some freebasing. And then at 6.30 in the morning is when, approximately, is when she called police. So, like I said, Hedda calls police. It was 6.40 a.m. Hedda said that her six-year-old daughter was not breathing on the 911 call. Oh. Okay, but I don't understand why, if 
if she saw that he what he already did, why she just didn't get up and leave? I mean, I guess that's going to depend on how you want to view it. But I mean, if she's sitting there freebasing and stuff along with him while the little girls in there laying on the floor, she's just as guilty as he is. As far well, as well, definitely, concerned. she's definitely as guilty. And I'm, I guarantee this wasn't the first time this happened. Well, what a sad thing. So paramedics they arrive, and when they did, they see six-year-old Lisa. She's in her naked and unresponsive in the kitchen floor. Little Lisa passed away from her injuries just three days later. Aww, Mitchell, baby. by the way, the little boy. Mm-hmm. He was tied to the playpen with a rope and was soaked in urine. Oh, poor they, baby. They found $25,000 in cash, cocaine, 20 crack pipes, and a bunch of other drugs, and including marijuana and paraphernalia, in the house. Uh, Joel was then charged. He was arrested and charged with manslaughter. He spent 16 years in jail and was actually released in 2004. What happened to the woman? Well, that's a good question. Hedda was not charged, but most people think that she was involved and she wasn't a victim, even though she was beat. You know, she was still just as responsible. And she was able to get out of being charged by agreeing to testify uh, against Joel which is why she was able to get out. That just pisses me off. I mean, do not they do not do background checks on people, even back in the day. Well, babe, no offense. She wrote children's books, and he was a prominent defense attorney in town. I mean, I don't know that he could have had been a defense attorney if he had much of a background on him. And she wrote children's books, so I mean, on the outside well, looking I, in. I you mean, would... I get that, but th- maybe they still needed to test him for drugs anyway, yeah, just I mean, to be safe. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe this was something that all took place after they adopted the kids, as far as I, I mean, I don't know. So, them poor little babies. There have been sightings of a young girl here, even today, that many think may be the ghost of Lisa. There's a photographer by the name of Dennis who didn't want to give us. Last name. I like how I say that, like I interviewed him. (laughs) But in the article I read, he didn't want to give his last name, but he lives... uh, Now, I've seen one article. He was mentioned a couple of times. One article said he lived across the street from the house, and one of them said he lived next door. So I'll be honest with you, I don't know which is which. But he either lived next door or across the street from this house for 20 years. And I didn't see an address, so I can't figure it out. So he definitely thinks that there's something evil in the house. He also doesn't think that... These spirits stay put in that house. He thinks they kind of get out and roam around a little bit. He says that he would do photo shoots at his home and models were terrified to be there on occasion. They would see a woman in white that had a long flowing gown on. Some where were, he lived, you mean? Yeah, where he lived. Some were so scared that they never returned. So why does he think that this is a spirit from across the street or next door, whatever the case is, and not from his own apartment. But Dennis said that he thinks it's because he was at a uh, a bookstore called The Strand. He was with a date. And he said they were just kind of looking around, going shelf to shelf. And suddenly a book fell right into the hands of his date. And it just happened to be Jan Bartell's book that we that we talked about earlier. What? In the so world. He thinks that's some kind of a sign because that book just fell without them even looking for it. He didn't even know the book existed. But the book falls. It falls right into his, his date's hand. So he thinks that's 
a clue to let him know that that's where the spirits are coming from. So there have been several paranormal investigators report on a lady in white at the death house. So that's kind of ties into what he was saying. Yeah. Also, there's a gray ghost cat. And we're going to tell you about how that came to be seen. So Dennis said that one night he's doing uh, uh, some photography in his living room. And there's a young lady there, a little model. And he leaves her alone for you know, a few minutes, or at least he thinks he's leaving her alone Mm -hmm. while he goes, you know, another room, bathroom, something. He said the model saw a woman in white followed by a gray cat just kind of mosey into the room that they were in, like through a wall. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And he said that uh, she was a dancer, the young lady, the model was a dancer. He said she just picked up her stuff and walked out. And when he asked if uh, he thinks they're from number 14, he said, yeah, because walls don't stop these spirits from going wherever they want to go, which makes sense. So the model ended up telling him, though, what she saw? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She she told him, and then she left. Oh, okay. Fun fact, Edgar Allan Poe's last known address was number 17 here in Greenwich Village. Mm. So this place in general has it all. Amazing. So we had 16 that she that uh, Jan was in beforehand that she saw stuff. We've got 17 is where Edgar Allan Poe lived. We've got the ghost in the one guy's house, Dennis's house. And then we've got 14. That's the death house. That's, that's really cool. I think we should visit this place. Well, we were right there. I know it. We were right there. It's in Manhattan. I would have liked to win. We just had no time that day. I would like to win just to be able to say we went to Greenwich Village. Oh, yeah, definitely. So what do you think? That was a good story. Well, that's not what I mean. <laughs> I know. I know. I was just saying that. I mean, so what do you think about when it comes to uh, a situation like, first of all, do you think ghosts will leave one resident and go to another? I mean, I guess so, because I know most ghosts are attached to the house but they may be just more attached to the person does that make sense yeah and they would just follow that person so what about in situations like dennis where he thinks that they just mosey into his apartment with no attachment to him they just you know and and you hear about that like when we did the stories uh in san antonio where the alamo Mm -hmm. you know that whole place is haunted you know, even like the hotel that was nowhere near there. Yeah. Uh, being built when all this happened. You know, the ghosts kind of come in from there and they see the same ghost kind of in different locations. Like John Wayne's ghost. Mm-hmm. He's sometimes seen at the Alamo. Sometimes he's seen at the bookstore and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So. I guess they get bored of where they're at. Yeah, probably so. You know, that's the only thing I can think of. They just get bored. Well, Trace, uh, that's the end of this story for this week. So I want to touch on something. Because we, we've been asked. Right here? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's what she said. Anyways, <laughs> let's talk about live events. Obviously, with the coronavirus stuff going on, everything is getting canceled. Uh, it's concerns for people. So let's talk about the live events that we have scheduled. As far as the first one, it's April 25th. That's still a little over a month away. And as of right now, everything is still planned. Everything is still on. 
we'll obviously monitor the situation more closely and see what the situation is. I mean, if if things make drastic improvements over the next couple of weeks in the country, uh, then everything still will probably stay as tuned. But if things, you know, take a nosedive, you know, we'll have to reevaluate the situation. So as of right now, it's far enough away where we're not going to make any kind of decisions. But, you know, we don't want people to think that we're being negligent or irresponsible or anything like that. It's just right now, I feel like it's far enough in advance to where, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and hopefully we're, we're going to hold off. Crap will be dying down by then. Yeah, so probably poor choice of word. But yeah. Wow, you know what I'm saying. But so anyways, that's kind of where we're at on that. So if you've got questions about, and and the other shows past that, you know, that's obviously, you know, the next one's in May, and that's like May 19th, I believe. So now we're looking at two months away. Uh, So right now, it's just, let's just see where things go, Mm -hmm. and we'll do it that way. So uh, obviously, if we have to cancel anybody who's bought tickets to get refunds and stuff like that, so... Um, that's where we're at. So don't worry about that. We, I know there's usually no refunds, but in that situation, if we can't have the show, right? you know, but as of right now, everything's still on and, uh, we'll just see where it goes. So that's, that should answer most of those questions. Oh, damn Ninja. <laughs> what was that? Uh, I think it was a half burp fart. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I think he was trying, I think he was actually trying to bark in his sleep. <laughs> so Tracy, do you want to cover, um, Patreons and iTunes reviews, of course. Sure. Um, our reviews are from Penguin Lover Seven Seven Seven. That's hot. I love me some penguins. They are just adorable. I'm mm. just saying. And Batman Life, didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that penguin is. Ugh. But anyway, Fit Life 2018. Thank you guys for your reviews. And our Patreons are Roger Vaughn, Josh. Is it? Uh, Josh, I don't want to say your name wrong. Trapedo? I think it is that what that is. Right. Okay. And Dean Gilson, thank you guys so much for your support. We appreciate y'all. Also, thanks, Dean Gilson. Dean Dean makes all these awesome oh, Photoshop pictures for MG. like t-shirts and stuff like that and posts them. And uh, they're pretty awesome. So. Yes, they are awesome. They are so cool. We need to we need to get him some business or something. Yeah, I don't know so, if he does that for business. Oh, I don't know, but man, he should because they're <laughs> awesome. But anyway, that's what we got, guys. We hope you uh, enjoyed the show. We had a good time. And, we sure uh, did. We we'll love s- you guys, and you all take care, and, you know, just be there for one another. That's it. And I hope you're enjoying on the new bonus episodes. We put the disclaimer at the beginning. I know it's like 45 seconds that if you got to, you know, get past every time you listen to one of them. But, you know, hey. And if you're listening tonight, tomorrow morning is the very first episode of Hillbilly Youngins. Yeah. And remember, this was the, this one's actually, is it doesn't involve Tracy and myself, other than the hour of editing I spent on that episode. But <laughs> it's it's Dakota and Kristen, her mom, our granddaughter and, and daughters. And they actually have geared this a little more towards a younger listening audience. Yeah. So it's hopefully something that you guys can listen to with your kids. We're not saying that you won't enjoy it as adults, but it's not, it's going to be a little more tame. We're making it a point to not be blood and guts and yeah. all that stuff. And it's going to come across a little bit more, especially in the beginning as like a teaching thing. So if you've got a nine or 10 year old that may not know, like tomorrow's episode is about UFOs. It tells you a little bit about the term UFO, where it came from. Uh, so it's, it's some basic general knowledge, and they'll eventually get into a little more regular stories, but a lot of it's going to be teaching. What are ghosts? What are spirits? What are poltergeists? 
And that's kind of the direction they'll go in the beginning. So I know a lot of the younger crowd, they'll listen to this show, but we may be talking about a couple of things that, that might go over their head during the course of the show. And this is to kind of give them a little bit of background on some of the stuff we talk about on the main show. True. They did a good job. I was very proud of them. Yep. Yeah, so, and they're, and they're going to be short episodes. I think this first one's like 13 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's designed to, for us to throw on there early on a Monday morning. So hypothetical, if, if you had school, which we, nobody does now for the most part, <laughs> but if you had school, you could listen to, as you take them to school, you've got 10 or 12 minutes, you know, during the ride to listen to the episode and be done with it. So, but there you go. I hope you guys enjoy it. And, um, like I said, if you like it, send some reviews our way on, um, you know, Facebook or something so they can see it and, and see if you guys are enjoying what they're doing. They're putting a lot of effort into it. So I'm proud of them. Yeah. You guys have a blessed week. And we'll talk to you soon.